0: I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter six. As Scott mentioned, we are breaking from our study of First John this morning, so that we can provide a message that kind of dovetails with our parenting conference. This morning's message uh, will be primarily geared not to parents but to children. Obviously, uh, it has an application directly to children, but also indirectly to parents because these are the things that we need to be teaching our children. So it, it applies to all, and I promise it will be edifying for those that uh, are not parents as well as we dig into the, to the Word of God together. Well, let's, uh, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help for this time. Our Lord, our God, you are majestic and mighty. You are our Savior and our God as we have uh, just affirmed through song. Lord, it's just uh, just amazing how you poured out your love upon us as your children, granting us faith and repentance. Lord, moving us to yourself by your just overwhelming love. Lord God, may we as uh, children, Lord, respond to the word this morning. Work through your Holy Spirit to help us understand your word, illumine our minds. Lord, for those in this room who who might not know you as true children, spiritual children have been born again, Lord, we just ask you you would work in their lives, Lord, growing the, the seed of the word of God, which is uh, planted not only this morning, but at other times. Draw that to saving faith, Lord. Draw them into your kingdom of light for your glory and your honor. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we are turning our attention to the topic of obedience and honor. Now, I wouldn't, um, wouldn't be surprising you any to tell you that obedience is fallen out of favor. And I would say even in our times, uh, our world just seems to not know what even honor is. There was a time when people, uh, even when they didn't like each other, would honor each other because of the respect of an office or authority or position. That is simply not true. That's true for the local police officers. That's true for the teachers in the schoolrooms. That's true for government officials. That's true for the highest governing authority in this land, the President of the United States. There just seems to be no respect for authority in general. But it's also true in the home. Obedience and honor have fallen out of favor in the home. This morning, I want you to see very clearly that obedience to parents is is God's command to children. And it's it's the way He's given children to demonstrate saving faith for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Let's let's return to Ephesians 6, 1-3. And read that passage together, recognizing that we haven't done a line-by-line study, so we don't have the fuller context of Ephesians here. I'm going to pull some of that in in, in, uh, in a little while. But let's just jump right into Ephesians 6, looking at verses, read verses 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. We want to make it just very, very clear that God calls children to obedience and honor, to to obey and honor their parents. And we're going to look at this through the prism that, that, that the Holy Spirit has given us here through these... Three verses, and as I mentioned, I'm going to try and tie in some of the larger context as well to help you see this isn't just plucked out of thin air. There is a context to this command, and we're going to show you that context by by building a sort of a a a, um, imaginary or figurative house towards the end of of the message to help you understand that context for this. But first, we're going to look at the command. We're going to look at the command to obedience. Uh, Really, in verse 1, in the beginning of verse 2, we're going to see the reason for the command. And we're going to see the reward for the command. And then following that, we're going to look at the framework. That's the house I mentioned for the command, the the obedience. So first, let's look at the command to obedience. The command to obedience. We see this very clearly when he says in verse 1, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right the first thing I want to point your attention to is the fact that he is addressing children directly. So here, the Holy Spirit, through the pen of the Apostle Paul, is addressing children directly, not via their parents, not via the elders, but directly to children. And the term children is a, is a, is a term that it, it has no bearing, it has no age grouping on it. So all by itself, it pertains to really anyone who is biologically or legally adopted uh, uh, dependent of another. And it could be of any age. But the context helps us a lot to understand the age grouping of children that the Apostle Paul is talking to. The first thing I want you to see is the command to obedience is given to children with understanding. That is, children whom have the ability to understand. Paul is not addressing the very youngest of children, the babes and the toddlers. There's no age here. It has to do with more of a a developmental issue. Paul is addressing children who are able to hear his words and understand the words. Maybe not understand the full extent of them, but in, in a very, at least in a straightforward sense, be able to understand what he is saying. So Paul is, is, is at least addressing children who are old enough to listen and understand to what, what is being sa- said. So just is a way of a little rabbit trail, this is, this is good biblical evidence to suggest that children were in the worship service with their parents. And they were not segregated off doing something more age-appropriate with air quotes around that uh, age-appropriate issue. God knows that children can understand the Scriptures. And here, the Scriptures are directly addressed to children. So Paul is not addressing this passage to the wee little ones who have not yet had the ability to, to listen with understanding. And to kind of give you an idea... Uh, that this is not a new thing, I'd like you to turn your attention for a moment to the Old Testament. So if you would, turn to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. So if you don't know where Nehemiah is, turn to Psalms, which is pretty easy to find, and just go left until you hit Nehemiah. Just keep turning and turning until you hit Ezra, and then if you hit Ezra, you've gone too far, go back to Nehemiah. So Nehemiah chapter 8. And I'm going to read to you the first eight verses to help us get a little bit of the context here, because it gives you a context for an illustration for the a, a setting where children are at where they were able to understand. And let's let's look at this. We'll begin at verse one. And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Now, remember, this is this is after the captivity. The captives, most of the captives, many of the captives came back to Israel and they are back in the land. And so they are back in the land asking for the law of Moses to be read. Verse 2. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. Okay, that's the children. All who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square, which is in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday. Children, my sermons are short compared to that, okay? Early morning till midday. That's a long time, okay? But look at this. In the presence of men and women and those who could understand, okay, that, that phrase, those who could understand, that's the children here. Not the really infants, but those old enough to understand. And the people were attentive to the book of the law, right? though he started in the early morning and went to midday, they were attentive to the word of the law. So it shows you, you can stay awake through a long message. You can be attentive to that. But let's go back to verse 4. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose and beside him stood Matilth, Matiltha, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Manasseh, and on his right hand, and Badiah, Mishael, um. Malchita, Hashem and Hashpadana Zechariah and Meshallam on his left hand I'm sure I butchered those names but those men will forgive me Um, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was standing above all the people and when he opened it all the people stood up then Ezra blessed the Lord the great God and all the people answered Amen and Amen while lifting up their hands then they bowed Lo and worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Shib- Jamin, Akub, Shabbathina, Hodiah, Masaya, Kilita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Heliah, and the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Right? So it's, it's an example of reading of the Word of God done by Ezra, then it being preached and explained. Many, many of the people who had, the, of the Israelites who had lived in Babylon, had lost use of the Hebrew language, so they needed translation uh, even, even then. So that's what was going on, but the point I wanted to say this is that it was the Word of God, it wasn't some diluted kitty program, and they were teaching not only the men and the women, but also all those who could had understanding, which is children, again, not defined by a particular age, but by a really a developmental stage um, that comes very naturally. And it's not, not just limited to teenagers here. And you'll just be very clear about that. Children can understand um, at a young age. We see the fact that that those who have understanding um, listen to the Word of God. And where does this understanding come from? My my attention here wants to point us to um, Proverbs 9.10. It says, "...the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding." So we're not just talking about, necessarily in a mechanical sense, those who can listen to a message and process its contents... What we're pointing here to is is the fact that there is a spiritual understanding that comes by the work of God in a, in a person's life, even a child's life, that that points them to the fear of God and the, the fear of the Lord. And we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is also the beginning of of worship. Right? It's the fear of God that that draws us to Himself. We, saw, we talk about fear using this context. We're not talking about the type of fear we run away and shrink away in fear. We're talking about the fear of, of realizing that He is the Almighty God. He is worthy of our worship, and we bow low and we worship Him. It's the kind of fear that causes us, causes us when we see Him, when we see Him in His presence, we'll fall at his, on our faces, we'll fall on our knees and before Him and worship Him, not shrink and run from Him. I mean, that's a different kind of fear. That's the fear of an unbeliever. But the fear of a, of a believer uh, worships the Lord. So I don't want to belabor it too much, but just to say that Paul wasn't addressing the babes, the little toddlers, but he was addressing children, children who could understand, and not just, not just the children who were the teenagers. And by the way, the whole teenager is a modern construct, just so you know that. There were children and there were adults uh, in, in historically thinking so the the whole idea of a teenager is a more of a modern cultural construct. So the command is not given to children, who are little babes. Um, so the, the command is given to children with understanding. For most of you here this morning, there are some toddlers and younger among, in our midst. But for most of you, this this applies directly to you. You can understand what God is saying. So the the message is direct. ...is directed to, to you. But the command, as I said, of children... ...or the word children isn't, isn't bounded by any age limits. So is Paul addressing children of any age? My argument would be, no, he's not. And I'll show you from the context that he's not. Paul was not addressing adult children... ...who were no longer dependent upon their parents. So that's, that's really the upper bound. It is children who are dependent upon their parents... Uh, just just like you never stop being a parent, you really stop never being a child, at least in a biological or adopted sense. Either way, you're you're always a child. But that's not Paul's not addressing the adult children in this case. And the reason we know that is because we turn back to Ephesians six after he gets done addressing children. Who does he address? The parents. And he's telling he's going he's gonna tell the parents what they need to do with their children. That's done in the home while the, while the children are younger. When the children are adults, they're out of the home, they're on their own. They have started their own families. Uh, Genesis says that when a man and a woman marry, they are to leave their father and mother and the two are to be united. They, they are a new family at that point under new authority. As I'll mention later, that doesn't, that doesn't uh, sever the total uh, relationship of honor, Uh, But it does change the relationship dynamically. It is a foolish parent that tries to order adult children around as if they had any authority to do that. So I know that's somewhat bounded by cultural expectations. In some cultures, children, stay children under the parent's authority much longer. In other cultures, it's younger. So some of that does ebb and flow. And that's why the Bible doesn't put any age limits here. Notice that it's just not bounded there. But Paul's addressing this. He's not addressing it to adult children. Um, adult children, I want to caution just to say, are still called to show honor to their parents. And just as uh, by way of an example of this, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses uh, 3 and 4 instructs the church this way. Just listen as I read this, 1 Timothy 5, verses 3 to 4. Honor widows who are widows indeed, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. So this tells us that adult children and even grandchildren may need to help provide financial support for parents and grandparents should they need that. In other words, God's instructions are believers... Uh, assuming these children and grandchildren are believers, they are called to provide that support for their parents or grandparents rather than burden the church uh, with that and and, and indeed, if they 're truly widows, meaning they don 't have any relatives to take care of them, then the responsibility of the church is to step in and do that 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 's what God has intended here but but be that as it may, so you know just understand there 's a degree of honor that is always. Uh, suitable and called for and right between um, a child and parent, that a child should show a parent, even after you're out of the house and independent of, of the parents. But Paul, so Paul is addressing children who are old enough to understand, but they're not out of the house. They're still in the house. They're under their parents' authority. They're dependent upon their parents' uh, finances and everything else for what is going on. So that's who he's who he's um, addressing. And that's probably not surprising to you. I just wanted to be really clear to that. But here's something you may not have thought about. Look at Ephesians 6. He says, Children, obey your parents. And we're going to we're gonna talk about obey in just a moment. But he says, Obey your parents in the Lord. That little phrase, that prepositional phrase, in the Lord. Though it appears after the word parents, it isn't referring to your parents in the Lord. It's not talking about spiritual parents. So it really says... It's really referring, this phrase, in the Lord, in the, in the book of Ephesians, always refers to the Lord Jesus Christ, not just God in general. We know Jesus is God. but This is referring specifically to Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. So children, obey your parents in the Lord. Because they add, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what Paul is, uh, the group of people that Paul is addressing are not just not just biological children. I mean, you could go to the Old Testament and and look at the fifth commandment given in the book of Moses, and the fifth commandment is that you'd honor and obey your parents. So there's a general sense in which God commands all children to do this. But Paul isn't simply taking the fifth commandment and regurgitating it. He does something a little different here. He he does something what Jesus does. He takes it and he kind of elevates it with that little phrase, in the Lord. So when Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, he is calling them to obedience of their parents as an act of faith and obedience to Christ. It's not simply mechanical obedience or mechanical honor. He is addressing children who profess to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, as we talked about some of the parenting conference, we don't know when our children come to faith as parents. But we must understand that God works in people's lives, sometimes at a young age. Sometimes it's an older age, like in my case or in other cases, you're saved in, at an older stage of life. But it is a blessing of God that He does save children at an early stage many times. And as parents, we don't know exactly when that, when that occurs, but one of the marks, one of the important marks of, of of a child who has come to faith is obedience. It's not the only one, but it's a non-negotiable one. If, children, if you hear anything this morning at all, is that you cannot claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ if you're disobedient to your parents. Those two things just don't go together. So Paul really... Paul is not assuming that every child in the Ephesian church is saved. He's not doing that. But he's saying, children, in the Lord, obey your parents. He's calling them to a higher standard, not just obedience in the mechanical sense, but obedience as an act of worship to the Lord and Savior. That's what he's pointing here. And and just a a word word to, to parents, that as parents our, our job isn't just to teach obedience. Um, we're not just to teach obedience or a mechanical observance to, to what we say. We're to be pointing our children towards Christ. Right? We're not interested in mere uh, behavior modification. Uh, we are interested in shepherding our children's heart that they might love the Lord their God. Now, we, we can't... We can't uh, cause our children to be born again right so if we, we use that we use the terminology of born again uh, quite a bit in our study of first john it's still all that still applies here right so god used me used my wife to bring about the biological birth of our children right but that birthing process is something that creation a creation of life was his doing So, too, with with parents, you can feed into your children truths of Scripture that God will use to bring them to life, but it doesn't guarantee that they are going to come to life. That that is just a matter of prayer and a matter of the Lord's sovereignty. But we need to shepherd them, uh, to shepherd their hearts, and point them to Christ. I I also just want to take a a moment, too, as a way of application to say something to parents who are here that that when we're teaching to children, there's a point at which when they're really young, when they're toddlers, when they're the babes, you just have to tell them what to do. If you try to reason with them, you're going to end up very, very frustrated. You just need to tell them what to do and train them to obey your voice using whatever discipline, godly discipline, um, that is in Scripture and in a way that is good for them and beneficial, not in anger. That has to be done at an early age. But there comes a stage, not that far down in a child's life, when, when that no longer suffices. It's no longer acceptable that you just say something, well, you do this because Daddy says so, or you do this because Mommy says so. Now, there are times when you need to say that because of the shortness of time or the situation, but there's always time to follow up and say, now let me explain to you why I said that. Let me explain to you why I gave you that instruction. And the reason I'm exhorting you in this is because far too often as parents, we just want to pontificate and say, just do it because I said so. Just do it because I said so. Well, yes, I understand. You want to, I want my kids, too, to submit to my authority. But understand, that's not how God treats us, even as adults. There's times where he says, do this, don't do this, but he often explains the reason why. He tells us the reason why. And and Paul's going to go on to do that. You notice he spends three verses talking to children. How many does he spend to parents? One, right? So just just one. So he explains to children. He takes the time to explain to them not only what they're to do, um, but why they're to do it, and then provide them some motivation towards that. So before we get to look the why and the reward, I want us to take a minute to look at what does the word obey mean? I mean, we we know the word because we use it a lot. It means to do what someone else tells you to do. But but there's so much more to it that I want you to understand. The word obey, as Pastor, Pastor John MacArthur explains, literally means to hear under. It's not simply obey is to hear under that is to listen with attentiveness and to respond positively to what is heard christian i mean sorry children are to put themselves under the words and authority of their parents it's to hear under that's a that's a literal translation it doesn't make a lot of sense in english but i think it helps us to understand there's a connection here um, to the word to the act of hearing It's very important to faithful Christianity that we understand the significance of hearing God's instructions and putting ourselves under the authority of what we heard. This is not so different than what God does for adults. It is very different from what happens in man-made religions. For example, in man-made religions, or the lack thereof, people call themselves atheists, there's a great emphasis placed either on what you can see or what you can feel. It's either it's either some truth, air quotes around that, that you can see, or it's some truth, air quote, in your heart. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted Jesus to give them a visible sign. He wanted to. He want, They wanted him to do some stunt. Uh, even if he had given it to them, I think they wouldn't have believed. But he refused to give them a sign other than what he had already planned to give them—the sign of Jonah, which they refuse which is the sign of jonah being lazarus in the grave being being raised and then later himself the ultimate sign of himself being raised from the grave when they didn't when he didn't give them what they wanted this sign they were filled with rage and they murdered him people like that are just uh, people today are just like that they're chasing visions or supposed apparitions of God, or sometimes apparitions of Mary. It's all in what they see. That's where their religion is at. That's where their faith is at. Or their faith is the things they can feel. Like they're just chasing one experience of God after another. They're trying to to sense God's presence. Uh, They're trusting their feelings that they can accurately guide them to truth. But as Pastor Green mentioned this weekend, that's another lie. The truth is never within us. The truth is outside of us. The truth is what God gives to us, His Word. And although in the Bible there are theophanies where there's the pre-incarnate appearance of Christ or even of Christ Himself being glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration, those things are very very few in comparison to the multiple, multiple times where God says, Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Throughout the Scriptures, it's not about what you can see, it's what you can hear. And and uh, I think I've mentioned this to you before, but I, I want to turn there because it's just so vitally important to the whole topic of, of obedience. But I'd like you to turn to Exodus 33, Now, I'd like to paint a little, uh, a little picture, uh, if you will. So, this is Exodus thirty-three finds us with the Israelites at Mount Sinai. It finds Moses um, interceding on behalf of the Israelites. But, but I want you to—we're going to just kind of jump in without setting too much context. So, Moses is on Mount Sinai talking to God. And we're told that Moses spoke with with God as a man speaks with another man. So, sort of face to face. And when, when the scriptures say face to face, talking about God, must realize that God, uh, it's using anthropomorphic language. That is, it's using language that it's human like to speak of God. God doesn't have a face, and because He doesn't have a body. Hmm? He's, he's spirit. God is spirit. So we talk about God having a face. He's talking about the epitome of His glory. Look at verse 18 with me. Here's Moses' request. I pray. Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, God reset replied, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Notice right there, even, he's not focused on the sight so much as what he's going to hear. I will proclaim my name before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me. You shall stand there on the rock, and I will come about while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but you f- my face shall not be seen. Now, we'll jump from, jump from there down uh, to chapter 34, verse 5. Chapter 34, verse 5. The Lord descended in a cloud So before Exodus 33, is the Lord telling him what was going to happen? 35 is is what actually happens. Uh, Exodus 34, verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. Wow, what an experience. But but it wasn't so much what Moses saw as what he heard. He heard the voice of God proclaiming God's own characteristics. And based on that, God expected moses to obey there what i want us to see from this is that there is a an undeniable and vital connection in christianity between listening and obedience which ties us back to ephesians 6 and this word to to listen under or to put yourself under the authority and 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 and, um, of another one, one Bible scholar explained that connection this way. He says, This prevalence in the scriptures of hearing points to an essential feature of biblical religion. It is a religion of the word because it is a religion of action, of obedience to the word. The prophet is a bearer of the word of Yahweh, which demands obedience and fulfillment, unquote. So throughout the Old Testament, it wasn't so much that the prophets were to come do some miracles. There, there were some that did come do miracles. But the scriptures are full of prophets who came and said, Thus saith the Lord. The Lord sent them with a specific message to the people that they were called to listen to. Many did not listen. Some did, by God's grace. But as we move to the New Testament, it's no different. The focus of the apostles and the early Christians is not on the physical image of what Jesus looked like. There's no official record of what Jesus looked like. I know there's those children's Bibles with uh, pictures and maybe like one, one per book or something like that, and they look all cute. But we must understand that the Lord didn't give us a picture book. He could have. God could have done that if He had wanted to. But he gave us a book of words and he revealed himself in words. The focus both of Jesus himself and of the early church and the apostles was on preaching the word, the living word, and to preach the word as, as he was revealed to them. That through the living word we are given the written image of God. It's not a picture, but it, we're given that image through words. And the hearing that we are called to as believers is not merely listening to the sound waves, but is directly tied to obedience. And we use the word listen this way. Right? If you're a parent, you've used it. Listen to me. I'm talking to you, son or daughter. Listen. What do we mean? Just listen to our words? No. There's, there's, there's greater content. There's greater intent implied to those words. It's no different than in Scripture. A scholar explained the connection between true hearing and obedience this way. He says, As is only natural, the content of hearing is determined by the content of the message. In the New Testament, this is always the offering of salvation and ethical demand in one. The offer of salvation and the ethical demand all are packaged together. It's not that you need to like, do all these things in order to gain salvation. No, it's that you're called to believe and trust Christ. You're called to repent of your sins and trust it by faith in Christ. And as a result of that, the obedience comes. These things are tied together. It's, it's, it's very, very similar to what we've been studying in 1 John. But, but I, I go back to uh, the quote I wanted to read you from, from that scholar. In, in the New Testament, the offering of salvation ethical demand are one. Hearing, then, is always the reception both of grace and of the call to repentance. This means, now listen to this, this means that the only marks to distinguish true hearing from purely physical hearing are faith and action. Understand what he's saying. The only difference between just mere physical hearing with real hearing is faith and action. If you don't respond in faith and action, and those go together, then you haven't truly heard. And, and that's the type of hearing, that's the type of obedience that the Lord is calling children to in this passage. It's really the type of obedience He calls all of us to, not just children. But in Ephesians 6.1, He is addressing specifically Children. So, when the Lord brings someone to faith, that faith is alive, and it leaps towards, towards obedience. And, and we do that because of the context of God's love. It doesn't mean our obedience is perfect. You know, you've, you've heard me teach through 1 John enough. I think you understand that. We're not talking about perfect obedience, but we're talking about a pattern of obedience. So, genuine faith leaps towards obedience... And obedience reveals true faith. It's not that obedience earns faith or earns salvation. That's not it at all. So when we talk about obedience, we are talking about hearing with a response that is in alignment with what was the command that was given to obey. So to obey is to hear and to put yourself under the authority of that message And that's what God calls children to do. Now, I want you to see from verse 2, just the beginning of verse 2, honor. The word honor says, honor your father and mother. The word honor there helps us understand that the obedience isn't just merely external. The the word honor gets to really the, the heart motivation. The word honor means to Value. It has to do with worth. Originally, it came from the idea of treasures or something that you you highly, highly valued. So you would kind of hide away those material possessions so no one would steal them. So you understand, children, that the calling here is not just to obey mom and dad, but the command is to honor, to value. So when mom or dad gives an instruction when you respond back in a sassy tone of voice or with a roll of the eyes that maybe they don't see I I know that never happens I was a kid once so I understand Okay, so I was not a perfect kid and I did those things Um, but understand those things are a violation too of the Lord's commands because he calls you to value your parents now Parents are sinful. Children are sinful. Is this kind of thing easy? No, it's not. But here we go back to the phrase, in the Lord. You need to depend upon God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to help you learn how to obey, how to honor sometimes sinful parents. Understand that you can look to Christ. Because there's no one who knew this better than Jesus. He's the only perfect child. You're not perfect. I wasn't perfect. He was perfect. He had sinful parents. And he fulfilled this command to obey and honor. Imagine that. That's a profound thought. That God himself honored his sinful parents. He never did anything wrong. If Jesus can do that for sinful parents, He can help you to honor your parents. Because right? you're sinful, they're sinful. So the Lord has given you a command that's difficult, yes. Impossible on your own, yes. But by faith in Him, not impossible. He's not commanding you, He's not giving you a mission impossible. When you rely upon his spirit. Here's where we get into the larger context. Look at Ephesians, uh, in Ephesians six. I want you to a minute, I was gonna wait till later, but now's a good moment. Look at chapter five, verses seventeen, being at verse seventeen. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. So, in a sense, what we're talking about to children and could also be applied to the wives and husbands to the parents and also to the slaves and and masters this is simply uh, what the instruction of obedience uh, children calling children to be obedient to parents is simply an application of being filled with the spirit it's simply an application of it so Again, he's not assuming that every child is saved, but he's calling children who do believe to this type of obedience. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit as a child. And, and you can even see it's, it's an application in verse 21 of the phrase being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So he, he uses that word, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, to really fill out what it means in, in the family life between uh, wives and husbands, children and children and are parents, slaves, masters. So that's, that's what, he's, what he's doing here. And, and notice, too, that in the pairings that he's showing, the Holy Spirit is showing honor to the one who is called to submission because they're mentioned first. Wives are mentioned before husbands. Children mentioned before parents. Slaves mentioned before masters. In a in a in a society that wanted to demean those in submission would have, wouldn't have done that. God's not doing that. The call to submission is not a demeaning uh, call. It is a it is a call of obedience. You know, God placed you in a particular spot in life where you are, but it's all the same thing. Understand, beloved, that when we look at this. In in a, in a in kind of in the in the context here, the submission that wives are called to is not all that different from the obedience the children are called to, or the obedience that the slaves are called to. So a lot of people, not a lot, but there are some people who say, "Well, the the word Paul uses for wives being subject to their husbands is slightly different from the word used here uh, that that Paul's using for to their parents." But the problem with that is we can go to 1 Peter 5, where Peter uses both words. He uses the one word to talk about submission, a wives being submission to their to their uh husbands, but then he uses the example of Sarah and he uses the word obedience. The two that Paul are using here in this context right here. So there are bounds and limits within this, as, as we'll see. But understand that, that submission is a, is a heart attitude that flows from the converted heart, that flows from a person that wants to honor Christ. Now, a couple of important things we need to note here before we move on to the look at the reason for obedience. And that is this it says, children obey your parents. Notice he's using the word, the Greek word for parents. He's not just saying fathers. And that's drawn out even more in verse 2, or he's he's quoting, he's probably quoting the Greek translation of the Old Testament here in in, in verse 2 rather than than directly in the Hebrew. But he says, honor your father and mother. He's pointing this out. This isn't this isn't just a call to obey the dad as the head of the home. This is a call to obedience and honor of both father and mother. You can't select one out. You can't pin. You know, say, well, I, I really respect my dad because I know he's the head of the home, but my mom, well, I don't know about her. And, you know, it's sometimes submission to moms are a little bit more difficult, especially for young men, because mom's in your kitchen every day, literally, um, telling you what to do and what to study and clean up your clothes and those kind of, those kind of routine things. And so it's, there's a greater temptation sometimes to show disrespect to the mom. But God includes the mom in this command. You can't bypass mom. Or sometimes with daughters, it's, it's that they want to bypass dad or, or the other way around. But understand, it's, it's both, both, are, are, um, both parents are in this command. And also understand where the limits of this command go. So for a moment, you can hold your place in Ephesians and go to the book of Colossians. And we almost read there this morning, but sure. we'll read it uh, next week. Colossians, when we get to that section anyway, Colossians 3.20 is the parallel passage to Ephesians 6. There it says, Children, be obedient to your parents, what? In all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. In all things? Really? Yeah. But there are some limits to this, and we don't have time to develop it fully. But understand that you are called to obedience. God calls you to obey your parents in everything, but there are times when you're given two commands, one by God, one by your parents, and you can't obey both of them. So if you have to choose between obedience to God on one hand or obedience to your parents on the other, as a follower of Christ, you have to choose obedience to God. There's just no doubt about that. Right? We, we know that from the apostles' example when they're commanded to stop preaching the name of Christ and they kept preaching and they got arrested and the authorities came and said, we commanded you to stop preaching. They said, well, we have to obey God rather than man. And it ended up that those officials uh, flogged them, beat them for not obeying. But the disciples rejoiced that they had been counted worthy of suffering for the name of Christ that same scenario may play out in your life. I doubt it knowing your parents here that they would ask you to do something sinful, but understand that if it ever comes, if the word of God comes in conflict with what your parents say, then God has a higher authority and overrules your parents. But if that's not the case, you are to obey them in all things. You don't get to select the ones that are fun or convenient or when uh, when, when you like it you know, submission doesn't really become submission until you're asked to do something you don't want to do. And that's true for all of us, not just children. Right? So let's move on from the command to look at the reason. And, and we'll move quicker on this. There's, there's less, less uh, that I have here to explain. But, but back in Ephesians 6 1, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is right. Obedience to parents is a right and holy response. Remember the fifth commandment? The Lord established it. You shall honor your father and mother. So what Paul is doing is just saying it is right. It is holy. It is good. It's a fulfillment of the the Lord's command for children to obey and to honor parents. And there's a sense in which even even the natural world understands this. Even those who don't profess to know Christ would say children need to listen to their parents. It's true almost of every culture. I don't know of any exception where children uh, are not expected to listen to their parents. It's just the right thing to do. But it's not the message of the world. The world is... The world is saying that children should be able to make up their own decisions about everything and shouldn't have to listen to parents. And in some cases, the world and even the school systems are encouraging children to be subversive and disobedient to their parents and will support them in that. But understand, it's the right thing. So the reason for obedience is that it is the right thing to do before God. And, and here's the benefit of it. By, by uh, training yourself to be obedient to your parents you're training yourself to be obedient to God so the the, the obedience that Paul calls for is in the Lord as an act of faith but it's also training you to obey God no matter what so understand that so you have the, the, the command of obedience you have the reason for obedience and now let's look at the reward for obedience And again, we'll go quickly here. He says this, the end of verse uh, 2, this is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Now, Paul is not jettisoning um, what he said in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, he talks about how salvation is by faith, and that faith is not even of yourself. It's It's not earned. It's a gift. So he's not here contradicting himself. He's not saying if children are obedient that they're going to gain eternal life. That's not at all what he's saying. Uh, understand what he's saying is that, is that this promise, when he says that this is the first commandment with a promise, he's saying it's a first commandment with a specific promise, with a special promise to children. And here is the promise. Here's the promise. It's given in verse 3, "...so that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth." What is he saying? In a sentence, we can say it like this. You avoid the judgment of God. You avoid the judgment of God. Children who were disrespectful, and this typically was more towards on the adult side of children, but children who hit their parents or killed their parents are commanded in the Old Testament to be put to death. That's how serious God took this command in the very beginning. He still takes that seriously. In His grace, it is not exercised, and I'm not arguing for the reinstallation of the of a, of a death command for disrespectful children. That's not at all what I'm doing. I'm just trying to help you to see that that's how serious God takes obedience to parents. And when children do obey, then He brings blessings into their life you avoid the judgment of God, and you live longer. And This is talking about, in, in typical, this isn't a guarantee that every child who obeys their parents is going to have a long, long life. That's just simply not true. This, but this is a promise that you will not face God's judgment. Understand, we, when we take the Lord's communion, we talk about the passage in 1 Corinthians 11, where he talks about how some some um, have even have gotten sick, and some have even... Um, sleep, in other words they 've died god 's brought them to judgment he 's talking about believers. He brought them into judgment because of their sinfulness so as as a child, obeying the Lord brings blessing and if if you are a believer who is is persisting at least in a short term in disobedience. If you're a genuine believer, the Lord is going to discipline you, and how he does that is completely up to him. He can do it in a temporary sense by just bringing some punishment or some unpleasant uh, circumstances into your life, or he can do it by ending your life, just like he did with others. Now, we're thankful that he is very patient and very gracious. But the point that, that that Paul emphasizes here, and freely from the Holy Spirit, is that there is a great blessing that comes a child's life and obedience. Now, I I want to kind of set um, to give you set the, a kind of wider example to show that there is a connection between obedience and long life, not just for children, although the, the, this commandment. And promises specifically given to children. You have Proverbs chapter ten verse twenty seven, which says, "The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened." Again, these are proverbs. He's not. He's not saying that that's. Gonna, this is going to be what God does in every single circumstances. In Proverbs fourteen twenty seven, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that the one uh, that one may avoid the snares of death. So if everybody, if somebody ever comes to you and, and talks about uh, the Suppose at Fountain of Life you can tell them where to find it. They don't have to search anymore. It's in the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Proverbs twenty two four: the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. So it just shows the emphasis that God rewards obedience. He does, and we need to trust Him in that. Now, in the time that we have uh, closing, I won't be long with this, I wanted to give you what I'll call the framework for supporting obedience. The framework for supporting obedience. This is what we talked about, building a house. So think about the analogy of building a house. You first lay the foundation. The foundation of your obedience is the love of God for His children. This is where we look back towards that phrase, in the Lord, children in the Lord. The foundation of your obedience is the love of God for His children. We must trust that God has our best intentions in mind. And, and this is where, you know, it kind of dovetails with what Pastor Green was talking about to your, to parents. Uh, look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. And this is, again, presuming that you're a believer in Christ. So if that's not true, then understand this doesn't apply to you. But if you are a believer in Christ, this does apply to you. Look at verse 3, chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. So there's just this rich pouring out of His love. You now we um, Again, I just encourage you, even the children, to go back and, and listen to Pastor Green's first message on this about love and how deep and vast and and wide it is. That love is again, um, uh, I guess, manifested to us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. It says, "...and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience." Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved." Understand that it is that great love poured out. And we could go chapter after chapter through Ephesians looking at that great love. But understand that great love that God has for His children is the foundation of the obedience. You're not trying to earn God's love by obeying Him. Obedience to God flows out of His love for you. We love because He first loved us. And for time, I will not go to other passages in Ephesians that show that. So that's the foundation of obedience. The walls and the roof of obedience are appointed by God's authority and His providence. So the walls and the roof of your obedience are appointed by God's authority and His providence. What do I mean by His authority? Well, Psalm 103, verse 19 says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all. He determined, children, He determined which family you would be born into, and the times that you would live and the place in which you live. So He determined that. In other words, He's not calling you to, to obedience to every single parent. Right? There's a certain of which you need to show respect to other adults, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're just talking about your call to obedience to your parents. So that's the limits of your obedience. He's not asking something, not asking you to be obedient to every single parent. Your parents. But understand this that that God is providentially determining where you live and what authority you are under. First of all, your parents, that's the first line. But, but he's even providentially controlled, even over your, the instructions that your parents give you. Right? This is where that providence goes to areas that are difficult for me to explain, probably difficult for you to understand at this point. But understand that God is providentially, sovereignly directing you through your parents. So when they're giving you a command, it's like God giving you a command. And again, if if those commands ever conflict, then you have a responsibility to obey God, not your parent. But that, it, within this setting, that's, that's rarely going to, if ever, going to happen. But I, what, I want, what I want you to see is that God is working in your life to help you towards obedience, and you can trust Him in that. You can trust Him in that. I mean... Go back to Ephesians 1, look at verse 9. We have to go here just a minute as we close. He made known to us, that is, God, Christ, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to a kind intention which He purposed in Him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. All things. There's nothing excluded here. God is providentially in control of your parents. If your parents give you an instruction you don't like, you're welcome to pray about it. You can ask God, plead with God for your parents to change their mind, and He can do that. He has that power and authority. But understand, you by obeying your parents, you are learning how to trust the providence of God. But the world is going to say, no, don't trust God, trust yourself. And that's the great temptation, children, is to trust yourself, to trust that you know better. And especially when you become a teenager, there's this great temptation to think you know it all. I knew it all when I was a teenager. But when I hit early 20s, I began to lose some of it. No, I realized that I didn't know it all. Mm-hmm. And then when you get older, you really do start losing some of it. But that's a different story. The, the point of it is, the world wants to entice you to trust yourself. But that's a, that's a lie. Trust God, don't lean on your own understanding. Trust God, beloved. God has has given the reason I use the analogy of a house because a house keeps us safe. It keeps us safe from the elements. It keeps us safe from those outside that want to come in and maybe hurt us. So a house is a good thing. You don't leave the door unlocked for unintentionally, right? Uh, you let in what's good. You keep out what's bad. God's Obedience is that guardhouse. It's that guardhouse to help train you on uh, on what he and how he wants you to live for him, and it protects you from the evils of this world. There are those who want to to deceive you and to think you can trust yourself. You can't. Truth isn't within you. It, truth is revealed in God's word. There are those who want you who want you to distrust what God's word says about God, what God's word says about sexuality and within marriage, that wants you to doubt uh, even what gender you are based on your sexuality. All of that, the world is encouraging great, great doubt. But if you will stay within the house of obedience that God has built, God will protect you and he'll shape you. He'll mold you into a Christ-honoring uh, believer, a mature believer, who then, as an adult, is able to really be helpful in, in maturing of others and ministering to others and not just being constructive in society, but being constructive within the church. And by God's grace, He, he rescues people out that didn't have the benefit of, a, of being taught obedience early in their childhood and, and rescuing us. So no matter what your background is, or whether you had that kind of childhood or not, God has awesome grace to pour His abundant grace into us and to help us uh, in our time of need. Uh, Beloved children, understand that, that God's house of obedience is your refuge. Trusting in His sovereignty. Trusting in His direction. Trusting that He is directing all things for your good. Don't, don't ever doubt that. I want to close this morning with an illustration that Pastor Mark gives in his commentary uh, on Ephesians 6.1. And he says this. The experiment is often recounted of placing a frog in a pan of cool water on a stove. And of slowly increasing the heat. Because the rise in the temperature is so gradual. It is imperceptible to the frog, and he remains in the pan even when the water begins to boil. He adjusts to the heat as it rises and eventually boils to death. That process illustrates what has happened to the American family, including many Christian families. The changed values in society have been so gradual that most people have hardly noticed them. Each small change in standards and values seems insignificant in itself... And because adjustments are gradually made to those lowered standards, the danger is not noticed even when the family and society start to disintegrate and crumble. Moral and spiritual standards have gradually eroded until countless families have been literally destroyed. We stand against that as believers by following the Lord, and your role in that is obedience to parents. Will you be a child who breaks the cultural mold, who refuses to stay in the cauldron of death that the world is brewing, who who exercises saving faith in Jesus Christ, and who joyfully obeys and honors your parents? Let's pray. Our Lord, our God, thank you that you are a God of grace, You're a God who loves. You're a God who loves with an incredible love, a limitless love, a sacrificial love. You're a God who directs all the affairs of our lives, even the ones that aren't so pleasant. You're even providential over the evil things in this world. Help us, Lord God, to trust you to trust you when we understand but, but also to trust you when we don't understand what's going on but, but to, to, may that trust be demonstrated by obedience to what you have revealed to us help us and help these children to be those who are attentive to your voice Lord that you would give them a, a heart of obedience that you would cause them to want to run with run the race with endurance to honor Christ to obey their parents, and to give good testimony of their faith in you. And for those children that are here that don't know you, Lord God, please just use this as, a, as an opportunity, as a really a call to repentance for them, that they might repent of their disobedience, that they would trust by faith in you, that you would bring them to saving faith, Lord God, and build into them a lifestyle of obedience that pleases you and honors you, and glorifies you and becomes a witness, a, a prophetic voice, if you will, in this dark world. Help us, Lord God, to be ambassadors of light. Help us as parents, those who are parents, to parent according to your principles, uh, again, under your providence, under your care, and, and based on your love. Help us all, Lord, good, to go in your grace and to be your ambassadors of light. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.